are traveling over the next couple of weeks and you miss some of this series, I'd encourage you to jump on the podcast and and uh, and stay caught up to this series. Preaching is so great for that. You can kind of you can stay in the flow. And so those of you who are traveling and maybe listening to this podcast. And uh, we miss you here at City Hills, but I'm glad that you're along for the ride. So new teaching series today on the book of Daniel. And if you're new to the Bible, uh, I'm going to kind of give you some history about Daniel. The main theme of this series, and, and really today's message sort of as we set up this, this series the next several weeks that we'll spend together, is what do you do, how do you live your life when culture starts shifting? Like, how do you respond to a culture that seems like it's anti-God, that seems like it's going one direction, and as a Christian, you're going a different direction, completely different direction, and, and, and you, you know, you're kind of caught in the middle of what do you do when culture shifts that way, when, it, when you're trying to live a godly life in an ungodly culture. Daniel kind of lived that, that life more than just living godly in an ungodly culture, I want to help you for the next several weeks learn how to not just stand firm on the stuff that is right, on truth, on what you believe, but I want this church to be a church that loves well while it stands firm, that you really can do both. You really can stand for something, have convictions, live a life that honors God, and still love people really well. These two things are not mutually exclusive, and if you grew up in Christianity like maybe like I did. I grew up in, a, in sort of a religious environment that honestly felt like you couldn't do both. You could either be right or you could be loving. But I want you to know you can be right and still love people. Shout amen to that, everybody. You don't have to be mean about it. We, we don't have to stand on the street corner. Nothing wrong with that. But you don't have to stand on the street corner with a sign that says everybody's going to hell but me. Come on, somebody. <laughs> like you, you, that's just not, I think you can stand firm and still love people well. And, and this church is built sort of on that idea that you can have grace and truth. The Bible says that when Jesus came, we beheld the only begotten of the Father, John says. Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. It wasn't half and half. He was completely full of grace and completely full of truth. And I want this church to be the same kind of church. We're not going to point our finger at you and say, don't do this, don't do that, you can't do this, this is not for that, nobody goes here, we can't wear that, nobody does this. But, but, you, but we're still going to stand for something. We're going to love well and stand firm. Honestly, the biggest shift in my ministry happened several years ago when I sort of embraced the idea that everything in life is not either or, that there's some stuff that are both and, that you can, have, that you can do both. That you can have grace and truth. You can stand firm in what it is God's you know, word says and we can stand firm in our convictions and stand for something and stand for truth and still love people well. That you can be both spiritual and relevant. That you know, those two things don't, don't just happen in a vacuum. You can, you can have a, a, a stylish and modest. Come on, somebody. It's summertime. I'm trying to help some of y'all need to wear some more. You know what I'm saying? You, 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 you're in a movie theater today. You can be a portable church and still do church excellent. Amen, everybody? It can still, it can, you can be, it, one writer says it this way, and this church is built on this idea that you can be deep and wide. That when you, when, when you come to City Hills, you can have a deep experience with God, but there's a shallow end of the pool. I'm preaching better than you're amen and already. There's a shallow end of the pool that you can, you can get in and wade in the water. That doesn't mean everybody stays in the shallow end. If you've been a Christian 25 years and you still got floaties on, you need to learn how to swim. Shout amen to that. 
But it does mean if you just walked in today and you've been away from God for a while and you don't understand everything, you can swim around and splash in the shallow end for as long as you need before you learn how to get. You can be deep and wide. Amen, everybody? Like you can be both and. You can be sacred, and, 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 and we do that here, and there's sacred times here, and we're spirit-filled, unapologetically a spirit-filled church, but you don't have to be spooky when you're sacred and spirit-filled. Amen, everybody. I've seen spooky. You've seen spooky late night on Christian TV. You know what I mean? You've seen spookiness. And, and it, I always say it this way. If it's spooky, it ain't the Holy Spirit. He's not Casper. It's just not... It's just not the way that it works. You can do both. And, and Daniel kind of lived in a culture that he had to embrace this both and, that, that, that he could both stand firm for what God had called him to do and his convictions and still love people well. It was a shifting culture. I think it was a culture a lot like ours. It's why I chose to preach this, this message series to you in, in the summer is because I really think he lived in a culture much like the culture we're in, very politically charged. You know, the news is sort of captivated by, you know, what's wrong and everything, depending on, very polarizing, depending on kind of where you are. And and culture seems to be shifting around, and and Daniel kind of lived in that culture. Let me give you some history here. The book of Daniel, if if you're new to the Bible, the Bible is not laid out. The Bible that you read is not laid out chronologically, not how it was was written or, or how it all played out. It's actually... It's, it's not arranged that way at all. So sometimes you'll read some of the Bible. Like you'll read where David died, and then, and then the next book is of the book that David wrote. And, you know, and, he's, and he's writing all of these songs. And it doesn't make any sense. He's dead. So it's, it's not laid out that, that way. There's, there's, it's sort of divided up in the type of book that it is. The first five books of the Bible are, are the Torah, the law. They're the books of the law. The Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are, are the books of the law. And if you were Jewish today, that's the Torah. And then after... The five first books of the Bible, there's a big history section. Any history buffs in the room right now where you at? Yeah, I love like History Channel and history documentaries on Netflix. And If you love that, you'll love the next sort of part of the Bible. It's a giant history sort of section. And it really is this historical reference of the nation of Israel and their sort of relationship with God and what happens in their life. And then... And the next is poetry, if you're, if you're into that, and, and sort of, you know, songs. So the, the book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, they're all song books and poetry, and, and, and it kind of sticks right there. And then right after that, the rest of the Old Testament are, are prophets or prophecy. And they're divided up. Even the prophets are divided up into two different sections. One are called minor prophets. One are called major prophets. The minor prophets simply just wrote a smaller book. They have nothing to do with being, you know, minor in the way that they prophesied it was just they were just they wrote a smaller book and major prophets wrote a larger book Daniel is a Daniel is a major prophet he wrote this he wrote a larger book in his book even the book of Daniel is kind of divided in half as well I know if you've heard all of this there's other people who haven't so just just kind of buckle up and Daniel's kind of divided up there's 12 chapters in the book of Daniel the first six chapters honestly could be in the history section of the Bible because the first six chapters of the book of Daniel are all about history and sort of, you know, what happened in the time that Daniel lived and in what is commonly known as the captivity. When, when Daniel and his friends and the children of Israel were carried into captivity into Babylon. The next six chapters of, of the book of Daniel, the last six, are all prophecies. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible, it quotes the book of Daniel more than any other book. And it's all about the end times and, and what happens in the end times. And we'll, we'll jump into that a couple of later in, in this series. But we're going to spend a couple of weeks kind of in the first part of that history 
of Daniel. Uh, Daniel lived about, there's about 4,000 years of history in the Bible between Adam and Jesus. 4,000 years of history between Adam and Jesus. And the last part of that 4,000 years is about 400 years that are called the silent years. Like literally, there's, you know, God's not speaking through a prophet. There's, no, there's sort of nothing going on. And just before, if your Bible was laid out the way that it was written, Daniel lived just before that 400 years of silence. Daniel lived in about 600 B.C., and, and right after him is the prophet Nehemiah. If you, were read, sort of, if you were looking at your Bible chronologically, Nehemiah would probably be the last prophet there, and then God sort of goes silent until Jesus shows up. And, and Israel in this particular time at, at 600 B.C., Israel as a nation has been defeated by Babylon. Babylon is modern-day Iraq, just to kind of give you a sort of where we are in the world. Modern-day Iraq is, is what was ancient Babylon, and they had conquered Israel because God had told Israel, if you keep turning your back on me, then, then you're going to be conquered, like I'm going to give you over as slaves, and that's exactly what happened. They sort of continued to turn their backs on God, how many of you found true in your life when you turn your back on God, you're always a slave to something else? Amen, everybody. It's just the way it happens. I end up serving something else. And so God said, if you keep doing that, you're going to, if you don't follow me, you're going to be conquered. And they and they were. The Babylonians conquered Israel and they're, they're carried into what is called, if you've if you heard biblical uh, uh, teaching and prophecy, that's called the captivity or the exile. They're in captivity in Babylon. And they're brought in as slaves there. And Daniel is one of those slaves. Now, I know that's a lot of history, but I kind of want to get you where we are. So if we're going to start the whole book of Daniel, I want you to see kind of where it was all said. Daniel is now living there. He's a prophet, but he's living in this captivity. He is taken in with his friends, and he's constantly at odds with his new home in Babylon. They're there 70 years in captivity. The Israelites are slaves in Babylon 70 years, and Daniel is constantly at odds. Most of his book, at least the first six chapters, are all about his sort of at odds with the culture that he's living in. The culture is going this way, and it's secular, and it worships another god, and Daniel is kind of you know going the opposite direction. I just don't fit in here. It's against God and His law, and I really think there's a lot to learn in that. So if you have your Bibles, open them up, Daniel 1, if you don't follow along on the screen, and we're going to kind of read through that. I normally don't do verse by verse, but I will in this particular message to kind of give you this whole story. Daniel 1 starts like this, in the third year... Of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that's the Israelite king, Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. Which, by the way, if you're pregnant with boys, those are both terrible names. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That's what I just told you. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and, and all of the Israelites into the hands of the Babylonians, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Now, this is important. The Babylonians didn't just conquer the people. They actually went into the temple in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, where they worshipped the Almighty God, they took some of their, the instruments that they worshipped God with. They took all of that stuff from the, temp, the articles there, and then they carried them off to the temple of His God in Babylonia. They took stuff out of the temple of God, and they brought it to the temple of Nebuchadnezzar's God in modern-day Iraq in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. And then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, another terrible word for a child, Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, he's kind of the prime minister, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. 
So there's slaves that are coming in, and King Nebuchadnezzar tells his prime minister, I want you to bring me in sort of the best of the best of the slaves. I want you to bring, I want you to bring me in the nobles and the, the parts of the royal family. They're young men without any physical defect and handsome and showing aptitude for every kind of learning. I know what you're thinking. It's a lot like your pastor. Anyway, you're kind. There, <laughs> you didn't have to laugh that hard at that. There, Handsome and showing aptitude for every kind of learning and well-informed and quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He said, I want the best of the best. I want you to kind of bring in, you know, this particular style. I really want young men that, that you know, are strong and strapping and, and handsome and that are smart. And, and then here's what I want you to do when you get them. This is important. Circle this in your Bible. Ashpenaz was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Keep this slide here. Listen close. If you want to know how culture is shaping you, your children, our generation, look how Babylonians did it. They changed language and they changed literature. Let me just pause right here. This isn't in my notes. This is free. You're welcome for this, by the way. You ought to watch what your kids read and listen to because language and literature changes culture. Shout amen to that, everybody. You need to know what's on their iPod. You need to know what's on their Facebook. You need to have all their passwords. I'm preaching better than you're amening. Because the only way that, that culture can be shaped are these two ways, language and literature. If we can change what kids listen to, what they watch, what they read, the video games they play, if we can change what's in their eyes and what's in their ears, we can change them to Babylonians. Oh, it's real now. It just got real. Y'all don't even know how real I got. I did. Language and literature was super important. And Ashpenaz says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to teach them sort of how we are. I, I want them to, you know, to know how, how we do. And then the king assigned them. After he said, Ashpenaz, here's what I want you to do. Then the king said, I want you to have a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained there for three years. Listen close. They were to be trained there for three years. After eating a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. And these were some from Judah. So here's some of the noble, handsome, strong men. Daniel, Hananiah, Daniel is the prophet we're talking about, Hananiah, his friend, Mishael, and Azariah. These are the four people that sort of that, that Ashpenaz sort of finds for King Nebuchadnezzar and brings him into the king's service. Let me ask you this first question. If you're taking notes, write this down. I want you to take good notes in this series. When culture shifts, will you? When culture starts shifting and you realize that things are not like they always were, that what, what was right is now wrong and what was wrong is now right, when culture starts telling you different stuff, when there's new language, new literature, there's new food, new wine, it's, everything seems different than what you know to be right. When culture starts shifting, Daniel, what do you do? Will, will you just shift with culture and sort of change with it and, and the new norm becomes your norm? Because culture changes, but God doesn't. Shout amen to that, everybody. We don't want to change God to fit our culture, but you and I have to change to fit God. We're not trying to mold God into something that fits into what we want. We don't go to God and go, God, here's, what, here's kind of what culture says. No, no, no. Culture is shifting to things that aren't godly. And you and I have to decide, as culture shifts, am I going to shift? When I was a student pastor, the first seven years of our ministry, Brandy and I together, I was in youth ministry. And when I was a student pastor, I remember sitting in my office, and this kid came to, to my office talking to me. 
about sort of the darkness that he was in and kind of, you know, what he was dealing with and, and you know, the depression and, you know, just emotions and really struggling to, to even get out of bed and, and, you know, suicidal thoughts and stuff going on in his mind. And so we, we started talking about, you know, what's going on in your life. What do you like? Tell me about your interests. And he began to tell me this absolutely horrific story about his deep, deep dive into violent, violent music and violent video games. And this dark world that he was kind of in, in all of that stuff that were his interests and his stuff. And, and, and I said, I asked him this question. I said, when you listen to that or when you watch that, you know, when you, when you watch the sort of, you know, those kind of movies or when you play those kind of videos, when you listen to that kind of music, what does it do? What does it do to you? And, and this is the sentence he said. He said, well, it doesn't bother me. Now listen, herein lies the problem is when it doesn't bother you. He's sort of making my point for me that it doesn't, the, the, the problem is it doesn't, I can see that, I can watch that, I can click on that, I can listen to that, I can go there, I can wear that, I can do that, and it doesn't bother me. Everybody, that's the point. It ought to bother us. It ought to bother us when, when Babylon goes, hey, here's what we're going to do now, and you're going, wait, 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 this doesn't sound right. None of this feels right. This, 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 it doesn't seem like this is where I should be or what I should be doing or how I should be living. And I, Listen, I'm not in this series. Listen, this is really going to drive some of you crazy because in this series, I am not going to tell you right and wrong. I am not going to point my finger and say, do this and don't do this because I'm not the Holy Spirit. Shout amen to that. I'm just not. That's his role. My job is to connect you to God, to get you so close to God, and to train you how to open up your life to the Holy Spirit so that when he convicts you, you know how to listen to it. That's my job. Shout amen to that, everybody. Some of you would prefer me to write out a list of rules and go, here's all the rules. Do it this way and you'll be all right. But that's not the kind of church you're in. Never going to be. I'm never going to stand here and point at you and go, don't do this, don't do that. We're against this, we're against that. You listen to me. We will never be known for what we're against. This church will always be known for what we're for. And I'm for you knowing God, not knowing about God. But the very first vision statement of this church is that we want you to know God. Why do I want you to know God so bad? Because if you know God, then you know when God speaks to you and convicts you. Shout amen to that, everybody. Then the Holy Spirit does what He does, which is lead you and guide you into all truth. That's not your preacher's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job to lead you and guide you. My job's to train you how to know when he's talking to you. Say amen to that, everybody. God, I'm preaching good today. This church is not about don't, 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 don't. This church is about Jesus, 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 Jesus. And if I can get you connected to Jesus then and, and tra- train your ear and your spiritual eyes to the Holy Spirit, then he's going to lead you today. So I, want, I, I do want to give you some training today. I want to give you three things that will happen that culture will try to do to you When it starts shifting, here's three things that culture will do when it shifts. And you recognize this in our culture today. This is what happened in Daniel's time. When culture starts shifting, here's what it will try to do to you. Daniel 1 and 7, continuing the same story, says this. The chief official, Ashpenaz, gave them new names. Circle that in your Bible. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, he gave the name Shadrach. To Mishael, he gave the name Meshach, and to Azariah, he gave the name Abednego. 
The, the first thing, listen, the first thing the enemy did was try to change their name, change their identity from who they were to who culture wanted them to be. God, I'm preaching so good right now. I, feel, I, I don't know, I just feel what I'm preaching. The first thing culture wants to do to you, write this in your notes, it will try to rename you. It'll try to change who God says you are into who they want you to be. It will try to change your name. God calls you. God gives you gifts. God gives you an identity. God gives you destiny. God gives you purpose. Before you're ever born, the Bible said all the days of your life were written in His book. He already has a name for you. He already has a purpose in your life. He already has something He wants you to do with the rest of your life. And the first thing culture wants to do, the very first thing Ashpenaz does to these these four Hebrew boys is, I'm going to give you new names. You will will no longer be called what you always thought you were. I'm going to give you. But you know why? Because the enemy is in an assault against your destiny. He is on an assault against who God called you to be. It's why I talk about growth track so much in this church. It's why I want you to go today. Because some people are living a label that God didn't give you. The world gave it to you. Your parents gave it to you. Your grandparents told you. Culture told you you're a nobody. You're a loser. You got nothing to offer. Your upbringing said that that. But God says you've got purpose. God says you've got a gift. God says you've got destiny. God says you've got an adventure on the inside of you that we're going to help you awaken that stuff in you shout amen to that because culture wants to read I, I meet more people in my life that wear a label that somebody else put on them because culture wants to rename who God says that you are I want you to see how important this is now I, I took a little bit of time and 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 I, I for me it was super eye-opening Here, here's here's what he did these four names if you look at Daniel, Daniel's original name, Daniel means God is my judge. That's what Daniel means. God is my judge. In other words, I, I, listen, I'm going to serve God. God's going to take care of me. I, I, I'm going to give everything I've got to, to God. I'm going to live my life so that I please God. But the new name they gave him is Belteshazzar. Now listen, Belteshazzar is a female name. It literally is translated lady Protect the king. Now buckle up. I want you to let this soak into what culture we live in. In every pagan culture in the history of humankind, gender confusion is the work of the enemy. Always. 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 God says, Daniel, you live your lives to please me. And, and, and Babylon, the first thing they did was change his name. And de- they took away his manhood, made him confused. Even the most basic thing like his gender, how God designed him. And they changed it to feminine and said, lady, your job's not about God anymore. Your job's about the king. It will confuse you. And it takes, here, write this down. It takes the focus off of God and puts it on man. It takes the focus on how God made me and it's, it's how you think I am or how you want to identify me or how I want. Are you still okay? Shout amen out there, everybody. It's, I'm telling you, it's a scary thing when culture tries to rename who you are. The second one, Hananiah. Hananiah means Yahweh or God is gracious. God's been good to me. How many of you would shout amen that God's been good to you? Come on. God's been gracious to me. That's what his name meant. They said, your name's not going to be about God being good to you anymore. I'm going to change it to Shadrach, which literally means I'm afraid of God. 
The, the, the identity that God had for him was God's been good to me. God's for, it, it, here's what it does. It changes the focus from God is for me to God is against me. Let me tell you what the spirit of this culture wants to do to you. It wants to convince you that serving God is against you. It's a bunch of don'ts and you can'ts and why would you go to church and why would you serve God? You can't do a bunch of stuff. It'll try to convince you that even though you think God's been good to you, no, 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 you've got to be afraid of God. I'm fearful of God what they call them. It changes the focus from God is for me to God is against me. Here's the, here's the next one, Mishael. His name simply meant, who is what God is? I love this sort of worshipful. Who is what God is? Who can do what God can do? That's his name. Who is like our God? They say, that's not your name anymore. It's now Meshach. Meshach, literally the translation is, I'm despised, I'm contemptible, and I'm humiliated. He goes from the focus, write this down, goes from confidence to cowardice. He's so confident in God and who he is. I'm confident. God is, who is like our God? Who dares stand against our God? They said, that's not your name anymore. Your name is now I'm humiliated. Now, let me tell you what culture wants to do to you. Now, listen, I'm not trying to be divisive. I promise you I'm not. But I'm also, I I refuse, I refuse to be a coward for what it is God's called me to be. I will not, culture wants you to hide behind and go, I'm just a little Christian, I'm sorry, I'm sorry everybody, I'm sorry. Don't look at me back here. You are going to hell, probably. I don't know. I'm I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be mean about it. We're not going to stand on the corner tell everybody they're going to hell. But you listen to me. I want you to be confident in who God called you to be when the world says you got to be a coward about it. you you got to back up and be humiliated about it. That's what what culture wants to... When it renames you, it wants to make you afraid of, scared to be who God called you to be. Shout amen to that, everybody. Here's the last one, Azariah. It meant Yahweh, God has helped me. God's helped. God's been for me. God's helped me. I know where I came from, Azariah. I know what God's done for me. He's lifted me. He saved me. God's helped me. They said, that's not your name anymore. It's Abednego, which literally means you're the servant of Nebo or, or one of the Babylonian gods. Listen, it takes your focus from a son to a slave. <laughs> and, I, and our culture wants to, wants to change you. As a Christian, following God from a son of the Most High God that God's helped me. I'm one of His. He's been good to me, to a slave, to whatever it is they want you to be a slave to. Listen to me. The first thing you have to know in this book of Daniel as culture begins to shift, it will try to rename you, and I want you to find your identity in Christ. I want you to get healed in a small group. It's why we talk about groups so much. This summer at City Hills, I want you to get in a group. Stop living the lies the enemy told you. Take off the mask and that label that somebody trapped you in and go find your redemptive calling. Go find out what God called you to do, the calling of your life, the purpose of your life, why God put you on this planet, get to growth track and then live the rest of your life making a difference for God. Not because you're arrogant, not because you're cocky, not because you just feel like you're better than, but because I know what God named me. I know who I am. I know how I got here. That's not my name. Shout amen to that everybody. It's the first thing culture wants to do is rename you. I'm going to try to teach. God let me calm down. 
Dan, thank you. Daniel 1 and 8, the next thing it does, it tries to rename you. Daniel 1 and 8, the next part of the verse, it goes like this. That Daniel resolved, Daniel 1 and 8, not to defile himself. I love this language. He didn't, he didn't get mad at them. He didn't tell them what sinners they were. He just resolved not to defile himself. Let me tell you what the biggest testimony of your life will be. It's not pointing your finger at somebody else and telling them how wrong they are. It's pointing your finger at your mirror and going, Hey, partner, you're going to do something different. You're going to li- I tell young people all the time, you know how to change your school? You know how to change your college? It's not by getting on a street corner with a big sign and everybody's wrong. And that- No, that's not what we do. No, no, no. It's If you'll start living differently, everybody will notice the difference. Daniel resolved, I'm I'm just not going to defile myself with the royal food and wine. Now listen, here's why this is so important. He asked the chief official, Ashpenaz, he said, can I have permission? I love the courtesy of the, again, you you can stand firm and still be nice. You can stand firm and still be courteous. Shout amen to that, everybody. You can stand for what you believe in and still not be a jerk. He asked permission. To not defile himself in this way. This is so important. He said, I can't eat this food and drink. This is why. It, for two reasons. The first one was it, it, it went against the diet, the strict dietary laws of, of his faith. In the Jewish faith, there were strict dietary laws that, that Hebrews ate and did not eat. And, and to eat the royal food and wine would have sort of you know, gone against what he believed. And then the second thing is more, more likely that the food that they were being offered had already been offered to idols. In other words, they had already given it in front of these Babylonian gods, and Daniel said, I can't defile myself with that. I'm asking permission. I'm asking, now listen, I'm resolved, but I'm courteous. I'm standing firm, but I'm loving well, because culture will try to tame you. Write that down, the second thing culture will try to do. It tries to tame you. It tries to tame you, constantly trying to quiet you and keep you down and keep you know keep, keep you where you are and just you just be quiet and just you know do it this way. Just if this is what they put in front of you, just eat it. It, it, it constantly trying to tame you, constantly trying to box you in that you've got to do it this way. Now listen, here's the big idea. Write this sentence down. The big idea is when culture shifts, don't lose your convictions. Don't lose your convictions. You can be resolute. Daniel just said, I'm, I'm, I've just decided I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to eat this way. It, your convictions don't have to be mine, but you better have some. And you got to do what the Holy Spirit convicts you to do. you got to do what the Holy Spirit convicts you. Daniel said, here's what God's convicted me about. Here's how I'm going to live. And when culture starts shifting, don't... And listen what happens when that happens. When you stand for something and you do so with honor, listen what happens, Daniel 9. Now God had caused the official Ashpenaz to show favor and compassion to Daniel. You think that that would have happened if he would have been a jerk? Probably not. You think that would have happened if he would have got on Facebook talking about how everybody was going to hell but him? Probably not. Y'all know he had Facebook. that has been around forever. But the official, the official told Daniel Ashpenaz, he said, listen, I appreciate you asking for permission not to eat this food, but I'm afraid if Nebuchadnezzar finds out that, that you know, he assigned you this food and drink, I'm afraid that if he sees you looking worse than the other young men, if he sees you that you, know, you, you don't look like they look because of your age, then the king would have my head because of you. 
the king's going to have my head because of you. Like, he'll cut my head off if I don't feed you this food that he told me to feed you. And then Daniel said to Ashpen as the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So there's this guard that's over them now. And, and, and so Daniel says this. Here, here's the idea. He said, I got an idea. Please test your servants. Underline that in your Bible. Please test your servants for 10 days. Every time you see 10 days in the Bible, 10 days is the number of tests. 10 is the number of testing in, 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 in the Bible. There were 10 commandments. That's a test of our, of our trust in God, our faith in the law of God. There, 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 were, there were 10 days that the, the disciples stayed in the upper room before Pentecost, testing their unity. It was, it was, it was all about a test. It's a test of faith. It's a test of our obedience. There's always going to be a test. Listen to me. Tithing is a test. It's the 10%. It's a test. So every time you see 10, it's a test. And every time, listen to me, every time culture tries to tame you, it will test you. And here's the test. Daniel said, don't give me anything but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, if, if you've been around church a while, that's, we now call that the Daniel fast. And then compare how I look, the comparance, uh, uh, like our appearance, compare that to the young men who eat all the other stuff, the royal food, and treat your servants in according to what you see. I want you to test us. Give us this, just vegetables and water. You give everybody else the royal food and wine, and then and you see how we are. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. They're all, culture will always test you. Culture will always test you. Culture will always test you. Some of you are wondering, why, why is it so hard? Why are they so mean? Why are they dominating the news, making me feel like I'm less than as a Christian or I have values or I have convictions? Why are the other parents at school looking at me crazy when I say my kids can't? I'm helping some of y'all right now. Well, why, why is everybody else saying that this is what our rule? Anybody grow up in a house where your mama said, I don't care what your neighbor does. That's, he don't live in this house. Anybody ever say that? Come on, If you don't say that, use that language. Let me let, write that down. Just because the neighbors do it don't mean we're going to do it. Shout amen to that, everybody. It'll always test you, though. You know why? Because here's the last thing. When culture shifts, it will try to claim you. It, it, it starts with renaming you, and then it just tries to quiet you down and tame you so that it can ultimately claim you. The test is about the claiming. If I just, I just want, I just want you to sort of, okay, I'll let you test that out. But if it doesn't work, you're going to be one of us. I'll let you test that out. But if it doesn't work, I'm going to let you be one of us. It's why I tell you all the time: you give this church one year of your life. You go to everything. You get in a group. You go to every group. You go to growth track. You serve on the team every week. You come to every series. You pray when we pray at 21 days. You fast with us. You give. You just go all in for a year. And after that year, if your life is not drastically better than when you started, I'll change churches with you. I really do mean that. Because there's a test. And if you'll go all in, it'll be amazing what will happen. The world says, okay, try that out for a little. You've tried everything else. You've read every book, gone to every counseling, taken everything, drank everything, done everything you know how to do to fix this. I think I'm going to test this out and see what happens. And when you do, then the world goes, I was trying to claim your marriage, claim your kids, claim your identity, claim your purpose, claim your destiny.
That's what, that's what culture always tries. The world is pulling one way and God is pulling another. And the test is how you pass. The test is the vote. When culture goes this way and God goes this way, and when culture shifts, write this down, never give in to pressure. When culture starts shifting and trying to claim you, don't give in to the pressure of the pull. Don't give in to the pressure where, where it's, I'm, try, I'm trying to get you this way. Daniel said, you give us this test and see what happens. Aspenaz says, okay, we'll test you for 10 days and we'll see what happens. But if it doesn't work, you're going to eat the other stuff or Nebuchadnezzar is going to cut my head off. So verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard, <laughs> I love this, the guard took away their choice food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. He said, man, th- this looks better. That You guys look better than everybody else looks in this test. So to these four young men, God gave. I love this about the God of the Bible. God gave them knowledge an understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. You listen to me. Just because you serve God doesn't mean you're going to be the back of the class. I think you're going to be the top of the class. The Bible says it this way, that we are not under, we are over. That I'm not the tail, I'm the head, everybody. That's the way God designed you to be. You're designed to excel in every area of your life. It's just better. Shout amen to that. You look healthier. You, You look better than everybody else. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. As a matter of fact, we won't look at, at chapter 2 of Daniel, but you need to go home and read chapter 2. Daniel starts interpreting dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. That's the power God gave him. But Daniel did not have that spiritual supernatural gift before the test. It was after the test that now Daniel can understand visions and dreams. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into this service, there was these three years the chief official, Aspenaz, presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them. And he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. I love, love, love that when you choose God's way, you can still get ahead in this world. That it doesn't hold you back, it actually pushes you forward. That it doesn't inhibit you from exhaling. I think it pushes you into destiny. When you stand for something, when you decide, you decide, you know what? I've got a calling on my life. I don't care. Some of the, some of the hardest conversations I've ever had were with young people who said, matter of fact, I had one just a couple of months ago, Brandy and I, with a young lady in Birmingham, Alabama, who had a four-year engineering degree from the University of Alabama. Don't boo Alabama. They're in the SEC. We don't boo SEC schools here. An engineering degree. Her dad was an engineer. She was going to be an engineer. And in her fourth, she graduated at the top of her class. What do you call it at the top of the class, Brandy? With the, yeah, that one. Cum laude. Yeah, that one. With the tassels. And I didn't do it anyway. Whatever. <laughs> and, she, and she graduated at the top of her class. And she went to her parents and said, I think God's called me into ministry. I think I want to give my whole life to serving God in ministry. They said, you got to be kidding me. We just paid for University of Alabama. Come on, somebody. you got to be kidding me. You're going to be an engineer. We're all engineers. She said, you don't understand. I think God's called me. She gave two years to Highlands College and ministry school, which you don't have to go to ministry school. She happened to live in Birmingham. She gave her life there, now serving in full-time ministry in another church. You know why? 
Because when you give your life to, I'm telling you, it will just be better. You just decide, I'm, I know who God's called me to be. I don't have to fit in the patterns of the world. You don't have to rename me and call me something I'm not. You're not going to try to tame who I am. It's just better. It's just better. It's just better. Verse 20, in every matter of wisdom, in every matter of wisdom, this is my last verse, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, Underline this in your Bible. He found these four boys ten times better. Ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. You listen to me. Serving God is ten times better than anything else in this world. It's ten times better. It's not My life's not a little bit better. It's ten times better. Serving God doesn't just barely get me by. I don't go home with my head hanging down. It's ten times better, everybody. If you feel like that, would you just raise your hand and say, man, that's me. It's, it's just ten times better. You look at the rest of my family. They've got, you know, they've gone this way. No, I'm serving God and it's ten times better. It's just just better doing it God's way. It's better being God's child. It's better knowing who God called me to be. It's ten times better, Daniel said. Because the world tries to change who you are and rename you and tame you down and ultimately claim you at its own. So I got two questions for you. This is the, the way that we'll close our time together today. Then we're going to pray. I got two questions to sort of end our time together that I want you to write down and then we'll close our notes and we'll pray. When culture starts shifting, when you find yourself in this culture feeling like I'm at odds, like I'm the weird one, like I'm the, I'm the odd man out. Everybody's kind of going this way and I'm going this way. You know, the news says I, I have to do this and we have to look like that and dress like this and, and, and talk like that and I got to like that kind of music and we got to talk about women that way. And, and, and we got, you know, we, we, this, is, this is the most acceptable thing. I feel like the oddball. Because I think God's called me to something different. I tell my babies every day when they leave, when, when Hazel would leave for preschool, she would leave my house. The last thing I looked at my little six-year-old girl and told her, Hazel, do not forget, what are we? She said, we are leaders. We don't follow, we lead. we lead. We look behind us. We watch people lead. We're, we're, we're going, we're going, it doesn't matter if everybody else goes that way. We lead the way to serve God. That's who God called us to be. God called us to serve. What do you do when culture shifts? Daniel, what do you do when you find yourselves in a foreign land and everybody seems to go one way, but you know God's called you this way. What do you do when culture tries to rename you? You know your destiny. You know your calling. And culture says, no, that's not you. You're somebody else. You say, no, no, no. Y'all can try to quiet me down. You can try to tame me all you want to. But I, I'm, I'm not going to be mean about it. We're not going to be a jerk about it. I'm not going to point my finger at you. But I will not be moved. I will not be moved. I will stand firm. Here's the question. Write these two questions down. Here's the first one. When will I change the world? Or will the world change me? When culture shifts, will I change the world? Or will the world change me? I want this church, if you're known for anything, you hear me, devil. Hear, hear, if this church is ever known for anything, I want this to be a church raising world changers. 
I want you to go to the mission field because God's called you. It doesn't make any sense. You sell everything, leave your job, cash in your 401k. Everybody thinks you're crazy. But you look at me. you got somebody in your corner going, if God's called you, you got to do what God's called you to do. We're going to change the world together, everybody. Oh, when culture changes and everybody says do this, no, 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 no. I'm going to change the world. The world's not going to change us. Right now, while you're in here, your kids are in a world-changing environment. I tell our teachers, it honestly doesn't matter to me. I want you to do crafts. I want you to have snacks. I want you to have gluten-free snacks. Come on, everybody. I want you to do sugar-free, dairy-free, gluten-free, taste-free. I want you to feed them cardboard, whatever it is that mama says they can have. None of that matters as important to me as when they leave City Hills Kids. I want you to know they don't have to change because the world does. They can leave here and change the world. They don't have to do what the world says. They can change the world. They are not who the world says they are. They're not who culture says they are. Let's don't be against anyone. Listen to me. Let's don't be against anyone. But we don't have to look like anyone either. (laughs) I'm going to be who God's called me to be. Here's the second question. Write this down. Will my identity come from God? This goes back to the first thing. Or will it come from the world? Will my identity come from God or will it come from the world? Now listen to me. Look in my eyes. Put your pen down. You can identify with Him today. Today, the best identification you can have is to be water baptized. As a matter of fact, water baptism is a public identification with what God's already done in your heart. Nobody can see your heart. God knows it. Some of you, your heart's been changed and you know that you know that you're not who you used to be. But on the outside, you haven't told everybody else. And Jesus would say it this way, that I want you to confess me before men so I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. I want you to identify with me. Galatians 3.27 says like this, All who have been united with Christ in baptism have Underline this, put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. You get identified. I have a a friend who calls it, you wear your Jesus jersey. Come on, everybody. Kind of like we want Kawhi to change teams anyway, whatever. You identify with a new team. Today, when you get baptized, when you, when, you, when you come up out of that water, when you go down into that water, you go down the old you, the old Oscar. Oscar was baptized. Stand up, Oscar. I remember the day I baptized Oscar. We buried an old Oscar all the way down. Everything prior to that moment, we buried him. The way he thought, the way he looked, the way he lived, the way he made decisions, the way he led his family. And I watched him for a year now. I have watched him lead his family. When he got out of that water, he put on new clothes. He said, I don't care what y'all used to know about me. This is who I am now I've identified as something different identity happens in the water when Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan by John the Baptist the Bible says the heavens opened up and the father voice from heaven the father said this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased you know why because God the father identified the son of God in the water in baptism you are identified as a son of God a daughter of the most high God in water baptism And today's the best day I know for you to say it doesn't matter what the world says about me. I know my identity is in Him. Everybody stand all over the house. Nobody move but our team. Every head bowed. Everybody praying. Please don't leave. 
until we're finished. If you know that I'm talking to you, that you need to be identified with Christ today, take a stand. Take a stand today. Come on, every head bowed. If you know that you know that God's done something in your heart, but you need to identify with it. Maybe you were baptized as a child or an infant, and you say, I just... I just, I talked to somebody yesterday who said I was a child. I don't even know really why I did it, but I just, I know that I know I got to do it again. I got to identify. I want a new identity. I want the world to know. I want my family to know. I want this church to know. I want everybody to know I'm with Christ. I'm with Him. Water baptism is the wedding band of Christianity. Listen to me. Look down here. This wedding band doesn't make me married to Brandy, but it tells you I'm married to her. I'm sorry, all you women, anyway. (laughs) It's an identity that I belong to her, and she belongs to me. When you get baptized, it's the wedding band of Christianity that identifies I belong to Him. I've put on Christ like putting on new clothes.